Amen. You got your Bible? Hold it up. If it's, if it's digital, that's all right. Hold it up. Say, this is the Word of God. I believe what it says. I believe I can do everything it says I can do. Lord, open my mind. Open my heart. Don't let me miss one word in Jesus' name. You want me to do it again? I, I would suggest to you every morning getting up and open your Bible. I'm serious. How many of you get up every morning and drink a cup of coffee? Okay, you drink something. How many get up and drink a glass of water or a glass of milk? You do, right? You do. How many eat a piece of toast? The Bible says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Uh, how do I know God's talking to me? Well, if you read enough of this, you'll be able to recognize him when he's speaking to you. Oh, well. If you got a Bible, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is all my staff's fault. I just want you to know we were in staff on Tuesday, and this verse jumped off the page and bit me. And, uh, and, and I tried to get away from it all week long, and it kept saying, preach me. So uh, it just has this ferocious thing about it, and the first service was quiet, so I'm tired of quiet. Touch your other neighbor and say, he means it. <laughs> so I'll say it three times until I get 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and then I might read a little bit out of Mark, but 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you. Say, remind. You ever tried to remind somebody? Generally, when you're trying to remind somebody, you go pay attention. He, he, he spent 14 chapters telling these Corinthians how to live. He spent 14 chapters writing to the Corinthians and say, listen, it's not about Apollos or Paul. It's it not a matter about what team you support or what. It, it, there should be no more divisions among you. You quit arguing about who. I mean, he starts off by saying, hey, would you stop that nonsense? And then he goes into how they ought to live together and forgive each other and how marriages ought to get along. And then, then he gets down to the charismatics there and he goes, listen, would you quit arguing over the gifts you got and the gifts you don't got? I mean, he really does. Gets down there and says, you need to, you need to stop that. And then he, he reminds them that it's about love and not about... He has spent 14 chapters telling people in Corinth how to get along with each other. Oh, well, I've spent 30-something, never mind. He, he really, and he gets to the 15th chapter, and he's getting ready to sum this thing up. And he goes, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that's been preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Look at your neighbor and say, don't waste it. Don't waste it. I see a lot of people wasting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wasting it on living in a stupid way. Wasting it on doing stupid things. Wasting it. Look at your other neighbor and say, don't waste this grace. If I was going to title this message, it'd be, don't waste this grace. Don't live like hell on your way to heaven. Did I get your attention? Myrtle's sitting in the back going, he said hell. In church. Touch your other neighbor and say, don't live like hell on your way to heaven. I see a lot of people going to heaven, but they won't know how to live when they get there. 
I see a lot of people headed to heaven, but when they get there, they're going to have to go to class as to how to get along with people in heaven. When they get to heaven, we're going to put them in catechism class and teach them how to talk. Because they've been talking any old way they want to talk on their way to heaven. And when they get to heaven, they're going to have to... Are you getting any of this? Don't waste the grace that God has given to you. That's the title of my message. For what I have received, I've passed on to you is of first importance. That Christ has died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to those scriptures. Say with me, Christ has died. Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Say it again. Christ has Say it again. That's the totality of the message that I have received from Jesus. It's the totality of the message that I'm trying to preach to you. We try to close every service with Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ is coming again. This is a really good way to protect your children from the heresies of the 21st century. When all the nonsense that comes through, all the religious nonsense, when it comes through, if your 10-year-old can go, oh, that's a bunch of bunk, because Christ has died, Christ Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Anything that's contrary to that, just walk away. Oh well. He said, I'm trying to remind you of this gospel that I received. I didn't make it up. You don't get to make up the gospel. You don't get to rearrange the gospel. You don't get to change the faith. It's been a gift that's been given to you. You got clotheslined and told to pay attention. Now I'm just pat. He'll get it in a minute. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. I like his resistance of saying dead. I want to say, Paul, they're just dead. They're dead. They're dead. But I mean, I think he's living out what Christ showed us in Mark chapter 5. She ain't dead. She's just asleep. Paul refuses to call those that have gone on dead. Why? Because he believed in the resurrection. And even if their body's not ticking, they're still alive because they've been resurrected with the one. Some of you need to get excited about the real faith and not about the Amway you've been sold. We've been peddling Amway for a long time. And the truth of the matter is we ain't peddling Amway. We're telling you that death has no hold. Sin has no hold. That we've been set free from sin and death. And we are now alive with Christ, seated in heavenly places at And if you have died before he comes, you're going to come with him in the air. And we're going to rise up to meet you there. That is the message of the gospel. This isn't about how to get rich and feel good while you're bad. Man, I'm on a roll. I apologize to all you visitors. You didn't expect me to. Yes, you did. They told you I was nuts. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, one who was abnormally born. You ever met somebody that was abnormal and knew it and proud of it? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm abnormal, (laughs) I know it, and I'm proud of it. He's going to reiterate this in a minute. He says, I know I'm weird. I had somebody tell me several years ago, they were talking about me, and they said, well, you're just weird. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm wired. There's a difference between being weird and wired. He goes, uh, no, you didn't. You're going to come to this church. 
He said, I'm abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Say, I'm the least, chiefest of all sinners. I I was murdering Christians, but I love that word. It's the best word in the Bible. I was dead. I was blind. I was on my way to, I was lost. Oh, you're not getting it. How big is your, never mind. Sorry. I'm the least of all of them, but I'm nobody, but I was lost, but I am what I am by the grace of God. I am proud of who I am, not because of what I did or didn't do, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, has changed me, and I am what I am because... Oh, somebody need to And his grace to me was not without effect. I'm tired of people claiming the grace of God, but I don't see any effect on their life. They claim the grace of God, but they still live in like hell on their way to heaven. Oh, you thought I was going to say it once and move on. No, you're going to get it. No, the grace of God is supposed to have an effect in your life. It's supposed to create change in your life that you were unable to change. You, you, you tried to go and change yourself, but you hadn't been able to change yourself. You went to try to do, but that, mm-mm, this is a change that you couldn't do on your own. But when he came into your life, he did what you could not do so that you are not what you once were. I am what I am by the grace. I was blind, but I was lost, but I was drunk, but I, anybody in here this morning? Thank God I wasn't like what I used to be. If you knew me when I was like that, but how big is yours? I'm serious. Some of us has got a great big. We, we, we were really sinners. I don't understand Mamby Pamby sinners. I do not understand. If you're going to be stupid, be stupid big time. I mean, if you've decided to go to hell, do it well. I mean, if you don't be a little bit ignorant, be dumb. I'm very serious. I was a sinner, but it took a big change in my life to change me. I was on my way to kill Christians, but I got clotheslined. You ever been clotheslined? Headed in a direction that was going to disappoint you. Headed... I think that husbands ought to put a rope up on the garage door. You know, the one that goes from the garage to the house. I think they ought to put it, if there's six, you know, I ought to put it about right here. And, you know, when you're walking in grumpy after a long day and you're about to take out all your frustrations on her because you didn't have the guts to say it to the people that you worked with, I think you ought to be clotheslined just as you walked in the house, knocked back on your you-know-what, laying in the garage, having a second thought about what you were going to go do. Ladies, I think in the laundry room, there ought to be a rope just a little higher. 
And when you're in there mumbling about having to unfold his socks and do his underwear, it ought to clothesline you, knock you back in the laundry room, make you think twice about what you were going to. Are you getting any of this? Paul said, I got clotheslined. I got knocked off my donkey on the way to do stuff that I should not have been doing. And out of his mercy, God stopped me in the middle of my sin and changed me. And I am what I am. Not because I had sense enough to turn around, but because he knocked me down in the middle of the mess that I... This is good preaching. I don't care what you think. (laughs) And I ain't even read the whole thing yet. I am what I am by the grace of God, for the grace is not without effect. I work harder than them all. Doesn't that make you mad? I, sometimes, I love the Bible, but there's things I read in it that make me mad. It, may, it sounds to me like Paul's being arrogant. I work harder than all of you. Come on, can't you just see him? I work hard. There's just people in the Bible I don't like. I mean, I think, Jonas, you must have been stupid. You could have saved us a lot of pages. Don't you know that's a lot to read? Jonas, we could have cut out four or five pages. I wouldn't have to read about how stupid you are not obeying God. You could have just gone over there and said, you're going to die in 40 days if you don't accept God. Oh, no, no. We had to hear about how you ran from God, got swallowed by a fish, and people arguing about whether or not it really happened. I don't know. I don't know whether it did or not. Jonas could have saved us that entire argument if he'd just done what he was told. I see, you don't read the book the way I read the book. I mean, Samson, keep your mouth shut, keep your hair, stay in power. I mean, why did you tell her, you blabbermouth? I mean, right? Thomas, stay put. I mean, we could have saved all kinds of paper in here if people in the book had just done what they were told. (laughs) Thomas, stay put here. Oh no, we wasted eight days waiting for Thomas to go back where he was told to go. I did. And Paul, I worked harder than all of you. I want to slap him. Come on. You ever seen one of them elite Christians walk in a room? (laughs) They let anybody in here. Yeah, dummy, go back out, come back in. Yeah, they walk in. I had them sitting. You'd know. I got to be careful. Uh, I've I've never smoked. I've never drank. I never slept with anyone but Henry. Yeah, Henry. Never mind. I mean, stand right there and tell me. Well, I've I never did any of that. I just. I stood here and I had, I had an inspiration. <laughs> I mean, I have the gift of snarky. I do. I do. It's a good gift. And I said, well, that's really nice, but you and I both know you wanted to. <laughs> and the Bible says whether you did not didn't, if you even thought about it, you done did it. So you... I still aren't done. I'm just reading the first. No, I worked harder than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Now let's pray that I might be able to preach and not meddle. 
Lord, I pray this morning that you'd anoint this child with the grace and the mercy to speak your gospel. I pray that you would anoint ears to hear the purity of that gospel. I pray that you would cause us to respond and produce what it is that you've called us to produce and be the people you called us to be. I ask all of that in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. I, I get tickled at this verse. I, I really believe that there is grace to live in the grind and that life is really a grueling, grinding process. I, I, I really mean that. I, I, I mean, I get tickled. I've listened to Karen Lucas talk for months about this baby and they're getting ready for it. And I hate reveal parties. You can ask anybody in here, I ain't coming to your reveal party. I don't even like going to my kids' reveal party because I think it's the dumbest thing in the world. We're going to tell a secret to that person, an envelope, and then we're going to go have his cake. And, you know, they had one made. It was blue. I remember seeing the pictures. I bet Dad was there, and they cut in, and it was a blue cake. Dad didn't agree with it. Didn't agree. (laughs) He didn't have any more fun with it than I did. And I hate reveal parties. And then, you know, then Chandler was born, and it's pink. Surprise! Do you understand that if they can't take an x-ray and see or not see, they might not be true in what they told you you got either. I mean, if they can be wrong over what is or isn't there, then why are you putting all that faith in that doctor telling you got this or that? Because they sometimes don't know whether it's a he or she. I mean, it would appear to me that trying to figure out whether it's a he or a she when you got all those MRI things, they might not know what. Uh, You could say it this way. Doctors don't have the final say. They still learning too. I'm just suggesting. I hate reveal parties. I mean, it's like, it's so cute. It's that. And then Lucas was at my house on Friday. I mean, he got one eye propped open. Hey, like that. And I said, son, you all right? You need a Red Bull? <laughs> I mean, you know, having babies is fun until about the third night. It's your turn. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, I did a wedding yesterday to love, honor, to cherish in sickness and in health for richer, for poor. And I look over and Trey is bawling. Just running down his face. I'm going... I mean, look at he's tough. And he's bawling, tears running. And then look at Abby, she's... And then I look over, and the mom of the bride's bawling, the dad of the bride's bawling. I look down, and the five-year-old that carried the ring in, he bawling. He leaves away, he bawling. He's crying. Because the idea of marriage is so much fun. Right? It's lovely. If you don't pick your underwear up, I'm going <laughs> to... What do you mean you forgot to put gas in the car? <laughs> yeah. Life is in the grind. Life is down in the grueling, mundane, ugly. And Paul is writing to the people in Corinth and said, you need to get along. That this grace thing that's come into your life is an everyday thing. 
It's a now thing. It's not just to be lived somewhere in the sweet by and by. That you're going to have to live grace down in the grimy and grit. The grace is not lived in the cathedral. It's not lived in the coffee shop. I'm sorry, but grace is no value when you're sipping a latte in air conditioning. I, I mean, it, first of all, it's stupid to be sitting a hot coffee in air conditioning and talking about how hard your life is. Come on, get the picture. Pastor, I got a problem. Can you meet me at Starbucks? Sure. Air conditioning's blowing. My pleasure to serve you. And you're drinking hot coffee, but your life is... You paid four bucks. But you got financial problems. Man, I got an instant cup out in the... You'll get this in a minute if you think how stupid we are. Real grace is lived in the grind of life. Real grace is lived down in the streets of Corinth with long nights and dirty diapers. Real life is complicated. And it's a challenge. Grace is not simply something that earns you a place and destination. Grace is something that empowers you to be married and to raise children and go to work. Oh well, don't shout me down while I'm... I want to remind you of this gospel that I preached to you, that you've received, wherein now you stand, and the gospel that you saved. Look at somebody say, I want to remind you that you have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you hold firmly, don't let go of it. It is a gospel that has the power to change. It's a gift. No one in this room has ever earned it. It's a gift given to you by Jesus Christ. It's his unmerited favor. You were going in the wrong destination, and he stopped you by getting in front of you. And I... Mm. You don't achieve this. You receive this abundance of grace into your life. The problem is, is that you're wasting this moment not realizing how powerful that grace is to work in the everyday moments of life. I told you this thing jumped up and bit me on Tuesday. Don't waste it. It's too important. It's too valuable. It, 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 Elijah wasted it running in the wrong direction. I haven't, I haven't got time to waste this grace that stopped me and turned me around. I cannot waste it on silly thinking and ludicrous living. I have to allow this grace to permeate and work in my life. Number two, Paul said, I didn't make it up. This is not a theory or a hoax. This is a reality. He hung on a cross and he walked out of a tomb. He appeared to us. He made himself known to us. And then, out of nowhere, he stopped in my life and introduced himself to me. Hear me. You may not have been there, and you may be going there, but God knows exactly where you are at. And he can reach into the lowest and the least and the lost of life and turn your life around. And you know it. You wouldn't even be sitting here this morning if you didn't know that God had interrupted your life. You know it. You believe it. And you believe that by that grace, you're going to finally have a destination beside him. But don't waste this grace today. Don't miss it. I didn't make it up. It's real. 
It, it, it is so close. It's a now thing. In fact, I've re-gifted it every time I've preached it. <laughs> I frankly didn't think life could be this good. I really didn't. I'm still amazed at how good life is to me. I, 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 I love Johnny Cash. Just love Johnny Cash. I know some of you are going, rings of fire. <laughs> I know you're just... I know you're, some of you go, who's Johnny Cash? Oh, grow up. He sings his song. He said, I don't sing with beer drinking songs. I've never wished that I was dead. And he's singing this love song in the only way Johnny Cash to sing to June about how life's too good to complain about living. Man. Christians, hear me. If we have received this grace that secures our eternity, then we have received a grace that will give us the ability to live in this moment. I am what I am by the grace of God. No one can take that away from me. I'm the least of all of them. I really believe that Paul expounds on what Christ revealed. I'm the least. Every time I read that, I want to go... Oh, would you stop? I'm the least. I mean, the man wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament, and I'm the least. I mean, this dude was the greatest missionary church planner of all time, and he's going, I'm the least of all. This, this, he's not writing this in his first year. He's writing this after about 30 years of ministry. I'm the least. And then I realize in Matthew's gospel, the 18th chapter, Jesus tells these three or four stories and they're woven together in such a way that they cannot be disconnected from one another. And I think, I think Paul is trying to say to us that sometimes I don't feel like who you think I am. I think Paul is saying all those titles that you give to me, the truth be known, I still feel very small. Have you ever in life gone through a season when you knew the grace of God was powerful, but it didn't feel like it was very powerful? I think Paul is saying, listen, all these things that are working in my life, this grace that works in my life, sometimes I don't feel it. Sometimes I don't feel all that important. Sometimes, I mean, everybody knows the Apostle Paul. When I say the Apostle, everybody fills it in. Nobody goes, Bartholomew. I mean, nobody names their kid after the Apostle Bartholomew. Lots of them named the Apostle Pete and the Apostle Paul. Nobody. Uh-uh. I mean, everybody knows. And he goes, I'm the least. I, I, I'm trying to say to you, I, I, I sense that sense of being nothing without him. I, I have that. I, I, I understand that what I'm living in today, I don't deserve. I, I, I know this truth. Oh, come on. Have you ever heard one of them people that get up and they sing like a bird? And you walk over to them and say, man, that's pretty. And they go, it's not me. I'm going to go, you dummy, it is too. You just say thank you. I couldn't no more do that. I mean, I have to work to find pitch and then I miss. I remember one of the first sermons I ever preached. Brother Crane was sitting there and I preached on a Wednesday night. Uh, I mean, I preached about driving like a wild yahoo. You don't know the story? Driving like a yahoo. It's in the Bible. 
It's when, it's when Elijah comes down off that mountain and he takes, it says he takes a box of oil. That's 12 quarts. Takes a box of oil and breaks it over Yehu's head. And then Yehu jumps in a chariot behind 12 horses and drives about 14 miles in the dust of Israel. Can you imagine having 12 quarts of oil poured over your head and then getting on a chariot without any windshield and the dust coming off of all of them? Can you imagine how dusty you, you'd be going like this? That's why today we still say, he's driving like a while, Yehu. So much humor is missed on people because they don't read the book. I mean, I preached on being a wild Yehu. Being covered with the anointing of God. I mean, having God anoint your life. And you got an anointing on your life. But the dust of the flesh covers up that anointing. And you got to look through the dust of the flesh to experience the anointing of God. And you drive through life with full... I preached that. It was good. And I get done and Brother Crane walks up to me and goes, Son, that's pretty good. You did a good job tonight. I said, thank you, sir. It was all God. He said, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> That's her father-in-law. Well, I am what I am. It, I'm the least. I'm the last. I think he is echoing what Christ said when the disciples in Matthew 18, if you, if you have a Bible, you can open it up. And the, the, Have you got one of the Bibles that's got headings in it? Where it goes, it goes, who's the greatest? And then it goes, Jesus warns about offenses. And then it says, the parable of the lost sheep. And then it says, dealing with a sinning brother. And then it goes into the unforgiving servant. That's all in one chapter. I mean, the sequence of the stories probably are important, don't you think? I think if I'm telling a story or preaching a sermon, the order in which I tell it, I'm probably connecting this point to that point. And I mean, it's in there. And I love it when people extrapolate something out of it, make a whole point out of it, and they didn't even read one chapter. I get it that you couldn't read the whole, the whole book of Matthew, but you couldn't read. And they pull something out and they tell me what it means. And I'm just sitting there going, well, I read before and after that. And, and, and I think Paul was aware of this when he said, I'm the least and the last. Because while they're arguing about being the greatest, he goes into a story about the little people. He loves the little children. He loves people that nobody else notices, the small, the outside. The, he, he, he notices that. And then he says, woe to those that offend those little people. He's not talking about making little people sin. He's talking about robbing faith. Woe to those people that take away the faith that they have in my grace. He ain't talking about smoking or drinking. He's talking about if you make one of those little people not to believe, that's offensive to me. And then, then he goes into this thing about being lost and that God seeks the lost sheep, the lost son. You know the story, right? Luke spends a whole chapter on it. Matthew spends about that much. And then he goes into this 
Oh, by the way, if you have a brother that's sinning, I, I, when I get to that point, it's about the fourth thing down. Then he goes, well, if, okay, if one of them sins, you take them to this, you take them to church. Then if they don't, you just throw them out. I know a lot of people today, they just throw people out if they can't get them to behave the way they want them to behave. But there's this last little line in that part of it that says, make him be like a Gentile or a lost person to you. In other words, give them three shots and then make them more important than anybody else in your life. Give them three shots and then make them little, which means they are of greater value. If they can't get over their own issue, you put them at the top of the list. You call them two or three times a day. You go visit them every week. If you couldn't get them to make a change on their own, then you need to begin to witness to them more than you've ever witnessed to them about the grace of God. Amen. Am I making any sense? I know people that use that portion of the scripture as an excuse to break a relationship with people, and that's not even what it means. And Paul, I believe Paul understood the power of the little, the least, and the lost. And then he goes into that story that he finishes, Matthew 18, and talks about the unforgiving sinner, or servant, where God forgave millions of dollars, and the guy that he forgave millions wouldn't forgive 10 cents. And he finishes this story by saying, uh, if you don't forgive your brother, you and no wise will be you do understand the most un the unpardonable sin is to refuse to pass on to others what you have first received. Amen. The unpardonable sin is to refuse to pardon another person. Because if you refuse to pardon another person, that thing will come back on you. And both you and the one you refuse to forgive will put you in prison. Are you listening to me? I think when Paul says, I'm the least, he's saying, look, I was lost. Look, I was the one trying to kill the church. And God got right, made me his primary goal. I'm the least of all of them. I want you to feel that this morning. God will take the foolish things. I want you to feel that this morning while you're sitting back there on the back pew wondering if you're ever going to amount to anything. God is working and willing to work through your life. God will begin to do stuff in your life that you never thought you could do on your own. You'll think you're working harder than everybody else, but you'll know that it's deep down inside. It's the grace of God that's working in you and through you to become and to accomplish everything he's called you to be. This is not about you going out and trying to do it on your own. This is about once you receive him and let him in you, he begins to do stuff on the inside of you. Are you listening to me? Listen, the devil cannot take away your grace. The devil cannot stop God from giving you grace, but the devil can stop you from receiving it and applying it in your life. The devil can take away your ability to allow the grace of God to work for you in the grind of life. He can convince you you're not worthy. He'll make you live in the shame or the envy of somebody else. And what Paul is saying is don't waste the grace that was so great that it saved your life. Don't waste that grace today worrying about what you used to be. Don't waste that grace today on lascivious living. Don't waste that grace in stupid arguments, but let the grace of God work deep down in your life and change every area of your life. So, man, I have grace for the future, but I got to tell you, it takes real faith to have grace for today. Real faith. There's two words I, I don't have time to theologically take you to the 
hermeneutics or the language of all of it, but there is salvitic grace. It's common grace. It's the grace that is given to all men, our common salvation. We're all saved by that common, say common, saving grace. But there is a specific grace, a grace that's given to you for you to live. Listen, I have a grace to be married to Annie, and she has a grace to be married to me. I have a grace to have raised Nicholas and Heather and Ashley and Stephen. I have a grace to be in Hutchinson, Kansas. I have a grace to do what I do. It takes a specific grace to be you, Matthew. It takes a specific grace to go to the job that you go to. It takes a specific grace to be what you were created to be. And some of you have never tapped into that specificity of God's grace that was tailor-given for you. Yes, I want you to celebrate the salvitic grace that saves your life. But I want you to tap into a grace that will cause you to be able to live the life that God has called you to live. It is free and it is abundant But you have to stand there in the midst of Corinth or Hutchinson, Kansas, in a culture that is counter to Christ that tells you you have to earn it and you have to do it. Honey, I don't labor because I need God's favor. I labor because I have God's favor. And I drip, drop into that grace. Man, it's a good message. I told you, jumped up on Tuesday, bit me, and I had to. I'm serious. I was sitting in staff with John and Heather and Sean and Heather and Ashley. And we're sitting there talking about whether it's grace or works or works or grace. And it dawned on me that humanity always separates what God puts together. Listen to me. America is doing it right now. If what I preach doesn't sit in our seats and live in our life, then what I preach is theoretical. Listen, it's in America right now. What is meant to be together is being divided asunder. Listen, Corinth, you need to stop the divisions. You're not of Apollos or of Paul. You're not red or blue, left or right. You need to stop it. We need both grace and works. We need people on that side and people on this side to work together in a respectful way. Are you listening to me? You don't want to walk up to me and tell me who's right and who's wrong because I am fed up with Corinth. We have received a grace. And that grace is supposed to cause us to be able to live together as citizens of one city, citizens of one state, citizens of one nation, and reveal the love of God that empowers us to be the people that God's called us to be. I am a Christian. I am a follower of the Christ. I have been joined with him. This is not about whether Paul did it or Grace did it. This is about where Grace works with Paul. It's about how the Spirit of God works in the flesh, and the two have become one. And if you've seen me, you've seen him. I have a much higher calling than to walk in the division of this world. And some of you are missing the miracles of today because you're caught up in the conversations of the culture. You didn't see it coming, did you? I told you, jumped off the page, grabbed me by the throat, and said, you preach this. You preach this. Are you listening to me? Did you know that futile, stupid conversations can rob you of a miracle? 
Stupid, negative, divisive conversations can charge the atmosphere with such doubt that a miracle cannot take place. He walked into the room and said, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they started laughing and mocking him. And the Bible says he told them to get out. One translation said he threw them out. Listen, I read a Bible where he took a whip and drove them people out of the temple. I would not put it past my Lord to pick you up by the seat of the pants and throw you out of a room. Are you listening to me? There are people that will laugh at the idea of God doing miracles. There are people that will laugh at the idea that we could get along in our marriages and in our states and in our country. There are people that act like that division is normal. And I'm here to tell you, he came to make us one with him and one with each other. And he picked up that divisive, negative, doubtless group of people, picked them up and threw them out. You hear me? There's some thoughts in your head you need to throw out. There's some attitudes and prejudices that you need to throw out. There's some judgments that you need to throw out. There's some conversations. Can I tell you something? I got more degrees than I can write, and I still don't know nothing. And I know people that argue in theology that couldn't find the book of Leviticus, <laughs> let alone understand it. Listen, honey, it's the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, we were joined to the Father and given the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, you became my sister and my brother. In the name of Jesus, we have a grace to live the grind of what it means to be human. Oh, well. Did you know that, have you ever met an EGR? No, you don't. Nobody knows what an EGR is? Say it with me, EGR. Extra grace required. Never, they're easy to spot. You know what I'm talking about. They're those people that were in the upper room mocking. They don't, they don't, they think you're nuts. They, they, they're extra grace. They're always negative, always downers, always yeah, buts. They, never mind. EGRs. I bump into them every once in a while. Extra grace required. I bump into them and I have to reach deep down in my life and find grace. You know, there are those people that are trying to break you of the bondage of needing other people's approval. Come on, there's a couple of them in my life. They're, they're trying to break me of the need of approval. And I bump into them and I have to dig deep to find extra grace. How many have ever been in a situation where extra grace was needed? Been in a situation where extra grace was needed, EGN. Extra grace was needed for this situation. The diagnosis wasn't good. The prognosis wasn't good. The challenge wasn't good. See, every challenge, every issue of life that challenges us is an opportunity to discover the grace that's bigger than we ever imagined it to be. Are you getting this? So that you can look at life and say, thank you, God, for the gift of this life, no, no matter how challenging it is. Because the grind of this life will reveal the grace that I didn't know was there. And that grace will cause me to work harder. Listen to me, Corinth. 
You need to stand in the grace that we've received. Stand in the grind of life. Not get caught up in the conversations of the culture. Embrace every moment. And watch that the grace of God will empower you to be the people of God. Did, are you getting anything out of this this morning? If you'll drive out those voices, if you'll throw them out, you'll be able to stand and command yourself to get up. Get up off this couch where I'm feeling sorry for myself. Get up out of the mully grubs that I've been walking in. Get up out of my own doubt. Get up out of my own self-pity. Get up, get up, Quentin. Get up out of this. Some of you need to talk to yourselves. Corinth, you need to talk to yourselves. This grace is sufficient for you. This grace will work in you and through you. Mm. You won't waste this grace envying somebody else's gift. I see so many Pentecostals. Oh, I've only had that gift. You won't waste this grace wishing that this season was over. There are so many people wishing this season be over because the next season, if I could just get them out of school, if I could just retire. You know how many retired people I know that are miserable? I know a lot of them now. Why do you know a lot of them? Because I'm older. <laughs> you don't want to waste your grace wishing you had a different talent. You don't want to waste your grace wishing you were in a different season. There, there is a grace for this moment. A grace for this season. 